Nine Podcasts. This week we'll tell you about the cars that give you the most bang for your buck. That's right, it's horsepower per dollar time, the 2022 edition from Drive. This is the Drive Podcast. Welcome to the Drive Podcast. I'm Trent Nikolic. I'm back in the driver's seat. Can I say that? I guess I can. This is the driver's seat. And this week we're introducing some sanity, some sensibility, uh, intellect, a bit of class. Uh, and <laughs> have you left already? I haven't even introduced you and you've already left. Uh, we've, we've got a radio veteran and someone that I've done a lot of radio time with in the last few years joining me for the podcast today, Clinton Maynard from 2GB, Car Tragic. I'll let you say hello in a minute. Just bear with me for a second. You do read the Drive website even more forensically than I do, which is embarrassing because I'm the managing editor, but I clearly have less time on public transport than you do. Clinton Maynard, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, great to, to, to be here. Uh, look, I've, I've been reading the Drive website um, back to its previous incarnation. Have, so so right. for, for many, many years, even well before we met and we started doing radio shows together, you sound like it was a bit of a jail sentence, though. <laughs> no, you'd, you'd done time no, with me. No, I, said, well, I did say that, but I used to say all the time when we were on air that we were like an ageing boy band that had sort of gotten <laughs> back together for a reunion tour. You know, that's what this feels like. Well, the, the podcast, and I know that it's gone to number one in motoring podcasts in the country, so <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a real honour to yeah. be part of it this week. Heavy weight on the shoulders, mate. Now, we always do this. I know you've listened to the podcast before. I know you were worried that I was going to ask you this, but let's start with what did you drive in today? Well, the problem is I don't have access to the drive garage. <laughs> That's true, you don't actually. Um, and everyone, well, those who listen to 2GB know I'm notoriously tight. Yes, now this is true. Um, in my day job, I'm a news reporter. That's right. And the big but you, story. But you also, just before you get to that, you also own a pretty cool car. Yeah. Well, you just don't drive it enough. And it, it adds up to the tightness. So. <laughs> One of the big news stories in, in Sydney is yeah. that there's a big fight between the rail union and the New South Wales government. How good's transport at the moment? <laughs> yeah, it's great. great. Last Friday, the Premier declared that this week would be a week of free travel on the trains. Ah, uh, so what did Clinton do? So I'm catching the train. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, look the, tru the truth is that I work in the city and, <laughs> yeah. and no one can actually afford parking in no, the city. No, so I do can't. catch the train mm -hmm. to my, my day job. Um, but I drive to the train station, yes. and that's where the tightness also comes in because okay. I drive my car to the station yep. and leave it there, mm -hmm. and it's a 10-year-old Toyota 86. Right. How far from I'm the station do you park it so you get Ooh, free parking? Quite a while. Yeah, I yeah. would have thought so. But also, so. <laughs> I, I park it quite a, quite a way away so no one scratches Yeah, no 86. one runs into it, yeah. So I'd had the 86, and look, I was really fortunate. Now, I know this is commonplace now for people to wait a year for a car. Absolutely. And we bought a new family car at the start of the year. Tell you, you something interesting about waiting in a minute. Yeah, but the, the family car we bought, we just got a bit lucky. It has a year-long waiting list at the moment, an Isuzu MUS. That's right, another good car. But when I got the 86... It made a lot of headlines because it was car of the year across That's numerous right. publications and it blew everyone away with the, the price, price, which yep. is I'm tight. As soon mm. as it came in at twenty nine nine ninety nine, it was well, sign I'm, me up. I'm having one of those. Yep. And I'm a I'm a bit like you. You, you discussed the Nissan Zeds on the podcast recently. I'm a bit of a Japanese sports yeah. car nut. Yeah. Love my Japanese yeah, sports cars. Absolutely. Grew up with RX sevens. My mm -hmm. first car was a Mazda RX. Where of that vintage. If if you're yeah. sort of if you're sort of over forty, and we are yeah. comfortably, if you're over forty, the, the Japanese sports cars they resonate, right? Yeah. Well, my, my first car was a Series Two, 1981 RX7. Love it. My dad had a Series Two RX7, yeah. a Series Four RX7. So yeah, I, I loved the rotaries and the RX sevens. Yes. When I couldn't afford one, I thought, oh. 
Will the bitch, Miss Bitch and Cordia fit the bill? No. No, a Cordia wouldn't <laughs> fit the quite. bill. Maybe a Starion. Starion, yes. The Mitsubishi Starion. Yes, but good the, car. But the RX-7 was the first car. Yes. And then I've been through a lot of other cars, a lot of cars since then. And eventually when Toyota announced they were coming out with the 86, mm. it's around the time that the Veloster came out. That's and right. And I suddenly thought, you know, I'd had a, an XL. Mm-hmm. I put it under a truck years ago, wrote it off. <laughs> But I suddenly thought you maybe... you at the time? No, yeah, I was actually. <laughs> but I suddenly thought maybe a Veloster was an option. Yeah. Then Toyota came out with the asking for the, the price mm. for an 86. This is now back in 2012, 29990990 for the GT, Yeah, which was just... It blew Ridic- the market away. Ridiculous. So I, I did the ring around to dealers and suddenly there were waiting lists back then of about nine months. And that was absurd. That was ridiculous. Was in those days. Now, nowadays, that's acceptable. People are like, oh yeah, nine months is all right. Back 10 years ago, you didn't have nine-month no. waiting lists for a car. No. Um, I got really lucky with a dealer in Sydney's southwestern suburbs who had a car in the dock at Port Kembla mm. in a colour that I was pretty keen on, Yep, and I bought it. You know you know what's most interesting, I think, for someone like you who's got an original 86, aside from another 86, what would you replace it with? Because really, th- th- this really is the is issue, really right? Hard. We've spoken about this before, but that's the kind of car that you buy. It ticks every box that you want it to. You love the ownership experience, and then you go, well, what am I going to change it yeah, to? Yeah, well, well, being so I was lucky to have been one of the first in the country with them, and it's now it's over 10 years old. It's coming up to 200,000 Ks, um, and it, it, I'll, I'll need to replace it in the next five yeah, years. Yeah, at some right? point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's got the Toyota Subaru build quality, so it still goes like mm-hmm. new, and yeah. I'm pretty fastidious with how I look after it and yep. where I get it serviced and so forth. But I'll, I know I'll have to get rid of it in the next couple of years, and you do think about, I've got three kids. Mm. And I've <laughs> you need to be sensible. No, well I'm not, and so I've I've, I've got away with having it all these years. Yeah, that's years. right. Your wife's now, patient. Because we just bought the MUX, mm. I reckon I'll be able to get away with buying something I do like. Yes. So look, obviously an '86 will will be on the um on the, the agenda, yeah. along with the BRZ. Yep. I'd probably opt for the BRZ at the moment. Yep. Because I prefer the I like the I like the, the BRZ the blue, too, yeah. and I like the blue. Yeah, I like the BRZ. But when you think about other alternatives, um. I really liked the look of the Nissan Z, mm. and it was um, fascinating to hear you and Josh speak last week about the manual, yeah. the, the auto, yep. and mine's a manual, mm-hmm. obviously, an yeah, 86, and exactly. I'd, I'd still stick with the manual, but the, the Z is a different price category mm. to it my It is. Car. It steps up. Yeah, that's right. But this is the thing with the Z. I get away with the 86 with my wife because it does actually have a back seat. You don't want anyone to sit in it, but it. the option is there. <laughs> I love it. That if I need to pick up a kid from school, yes. I can throw them in yes. the back seat. Mm. The Z doesn't have the back seat now, at all. I've got one last question to ask before I tell the listeners what I drove in. A mutual friend of ours, John Stanley, who also hosts radio mm. here at 2GB, he has told me, and I believe he said on air, that you don't drive the car with your shoes on. No, I don't. You take your shoes off. Mm. So you don't sort of tramp in... I actually have trouble now driving cars seriously with shoes on. And listeners, I thought I was fussy. Uh, well, look, this, <laughs> this, this is originally this is started, another level. Yeah, look, look I've got another. team. I've got massive problems. <laughs> look, this, this started out when, when the '86 came out. It's a true story. <laughs> yeah. You know, there were all sorts of forums, a lot, lot of forums that I would read online about them. Mm. And the initial reports from overseas yeah. was that the mats that came with the '86 were wearing out really quickly. Uh-huh. No, seriously, they yeah. were wearing it. So I thought, you know what, I, I won't put the shoes on. And then I got used to it. It became a habit. No, but it's become a habit. And I wear, away from work, I wear thongs a lot, right? You don't drive thongs. do you wear socks? 
Yeah, generally, if, if I'm on the way to work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you I mean, I, I drive, I like, I probably prefer to drive with bare feet compared to anything. You are insane. What I drove in today is nowhere near as exciting. I've said this to you guys before. I drove my 200 series Land Cruiser in today because I can't tell you anything about it yet, but basically the entire drive team from Sydney and Melbourne is out doing drive car of the year testing at the moment, uh, which is a huge exercise. So basically every spare car that we have is on that test. Uh, I've been away. I was on holidays, which is why the podcast sort of veered wildly off course, um, which is why I said some sanities prevailed. Then you admitted to not putting your shoes on while you were driving the car. But I'm driving my 200 series Land Cruiser. Pretty boring. Same old thing. Let's get to the first news story. And I really love this stuff. And it's funny. When we talk about bang for your buck, Clinton, your BRZ, your 86 or a BRZ kind of ticks that box, yeah. right, because it's so affordable. So what we do every year, and this is the 2022 edition, we run a story called Cheap Speed, the new cars with the most power per dollar. Um, and what it's for is if you want to just look at a list of new cars and say, what's the most powerful car I can get for the money? Here's the list. Now, of course... If you're listening, you can go to drive.com.au and read the full story. But what stands out to you? What has blown me away is number eight. (laughs) And I I actually have some experience with these cars. What I'll do, just just before you go to that, what I'll do when Clinton explains number eight, I'll then run you through from 10 to 1 really quickly, but go with number eight. So we're we're obviously not talking performance. Supercar. Bang for your buck. Supercar is number eight. It's uh, the Mazda CX-3 Neo Sport Manual. (laughs) Which for uh, <laughs> per kilowatt two hundred and twelve dollars sixty four cents. It's cheap. Uh, the the, the CX, look. I'm a Mazda fan. Yes. If if Mazda re released the RX seven, you'd be all over. I'll it. be first in the queue. All over it. Um, but I do have some experience driving the CX three. I'm sure you've driven many CX threes over the years. We mm. in my day job as a reporter, our reporter cars are uh-huh. Mazda CX threes. Right. Mazdas we know are solid cars, dependable, reliable. They try to position themselves perhaps as maybe the more luxurious of the. Yep. The Japanese marks. The CX-3 does not fall into that category. And you know what the issue with the CX-3 is? More than anything else, and I've said this a bunch of times, anyone listening who's read reviews that we've done on the site, I've said this a bunch of times. The problem with the CX-3 is despite the fact it's got a 3 in the name, it's a Mazda 2 yeah. under the skin. So it's tiny. It's yeah. ac- it's absolutely tiny. The back seat is almost... It's almost not worth considering it as a back seat. You'd almost be worth folding those back seats down and thinking of it as a small panel van because Look, it's so tight back there. I know I'm going to sound like someone who's you know from the 1980s or 90s, but you are, it, it yeah. sort of demonstrates everything that's wrong about the way the direction the car industry's gone <laughs> yeah. in. Yeah. Let's get a small car, yeah. jack it up two centimetres. Put some plastic on it. Put the cladding on it and charge an extra 10K. Yep. And call it an SUV. Yep. The things are not SUVs. I drove it to the floods up in Lismore. You went. You forded some flood water, didn't you? Yeah, it was scary. In the thing. <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't yeah. be driving through flood water no, anyway. Exactly, that's right. Drive, but it's, right, it's yeah. not the sort of car to drive through flood waters. The thing that grabs me about the CX three, and I've I've owned a Mazda three, yeah. the first generation, great car, really good great car. car. In terms of, in the, we're talking power to weight ratios here, or mm. power to cost ratio. Power to cost ratio, yeah. I don't think they've got a lot of power. It's, it's 110 kilowatts. It doesn't feel like 110 kilowatts. It feels you know like what that, 70. You know what that proves that coming in at number eight is it's actually really affordable. I think that's yeah. what it is more. So number 10, 
Toyota Kluga GX V6. Now, that doesn't surprise me because that's a big V6 petrol engine, just over 218 bucks per kilowatt. Number nine, Polestar 2 Long Range. So that's an electric vehicle. Dual motor gets the performance software upgrade, 214 bucks, just over that per kilowatt. Mazda, you mentioned. Ford Escape front-wheel drive, 204 bucks, just over that per kilowatt. So that's pretty good. Um, Camry Ascent Petrol, another one, V6. So that's at $203 per kilowatt. Oh, so it's not the hybrid. This is the petrol That's version. the petrol one. Yeah, absolutely. And then you go to Hyundai i30 N-Line. And this is where you start to go, oh, yeah, okay, I can understand yep. that because it's N-Line, right? It's getting there. So that's 201 bucks per kilowatt. Number four, Kia Stinger 330S. That's $200 per kilowatt. That's a bargain. Kia yep. Stinger's a cracker of a car, and that's a bargain for that. Jeez, my dad called me a couple of weeks ago. Uh-oh. And he said, and you know how my dad goes He changes cars. cars more than you and I change our underwear. He said, what do you think of a Kia Sting? <laughs> well, at least he's bought a good one. If he buys well, he, he one, didn't at least... End up buying, he didn't end up buying... It's a sensible decision. I did say to him, look, it's probably at the end of its life cycle and it's mm. probably not going to be replaced. So just bear that in mind. Bear that in mind. That's right. Now, when we get to number three, you were talking about the Mazda being a strange <laughs> one at number eight. Would you have had in your top three the Toyota Hilux, but not, not just the Hilux, a workmate... So that's the alloy tray. We call them. <laughs> yeah. We call them at, at drive. We call them the traffic controller utes because they're a single cab. They're usually the ones you see running around to the street sites with all the signs mm. in the back of them. Four by two single cab chassis petrol with a manual. Yours for the bargain price of one hundred and ninety eight dollars and fifty seven cents per kilowatt. Then we go to a Hyundai i thirty manual hatch, which surprisingly is better value for money than the N line in terms of money for power. So that's one hundred and ninety seven bucks. Per kilowatt, and then that was a drum roll. Number one, number one is the Ford Mustang GT Fastback, which is how much per kilowatt? One hundred ninety-two dollars sixty. Mm. Yeah, so sixty-five thousand two hundred ninety plus your on roads. You know, Mustang, and let us know what you think. We we love getting your feedback, and we get a lot of it after each of these podcasts. So let us know what you think about this list. And as I said, the full list is at drive.com.au. But gee. Mustang's kicked a lot of goals for Ford, oh. really. I mean, the styling of it gets better with every little facelift they do. It's probably one of the best iterations of a retro performance vehicle that anybody's done, I think. And it's still good value for money. I mean, 65290 bucks plus on-road cost. It's a little bit more than it was before. But that gets you 339 kilowatts, 556 newton metres, a five-litre V8 and a six-speed manual. Those numbers are impressive. Well, you talk about what would be on my list if I was getting replacing the 86. didn't even think of the Mustang. The Mustang would be on the list. Now, I'm not really a big car. I have owned Commodores in the past, but I'm not really a big car guy. And they're, they're a pretty substantial vehicle. Yeah. But in terms of putting the kids in the back, there's plenty. There's a lot more room in the back of a Mustang than an 86. Yeah. My wife actually likes Mustangs. Oh, there you go. It's time for us to take a break. And when we come back... I know you're across this, and lucky you are, because I'm probably not as across it as you are. We're going to talk about government legislation that, if it comes into existence, it's got the potential to save you thousands on an electric vehicle. Welcome back to The Drive Podcast. Trent Nikolic with you again this week with my special guest. You know how on TV shows... They have all just the regular people who are on the TV show, mm. and then it says starring, starring Clinton oh, Maynard uh, this week. <laughs> just, the truth is, 
Clinton had finished work and he just walked past the window and I said, guess what, mate, you're on the <laughs> podcast. And he had nothing better to do. So here he is. I'm, I'm really interested about this one, Clinton, because you and I have debated on radio countless times and we've spoken to listeners about this countless times. I, I don't know where I sit on how we make electric vehicles more affordable. So we'll get to this government legislation that's been spoken about in a minute. I've always said that I'm not a fan of mum and dad, dad and dad, mum and mum, doesn't matter who the couple is, out in the western suburbs who are struggling to pay the bills, right? It's very expensive at the moment to just pay your general bills. I'm not a fan of their taxpayer dollars um, incentivising or subsidising the purchase of an expensive electric vehicle that someone in the eastern suburbs that's already got the money to be able to afford one is getting a discount on it. I don't think that's a good way to run the tax system. And also, too, these electric vehicles have got waiting lists. It's not like we need to incentivise people to buy them to actually get people to buy them because you can't get them, right? That's the first thing. Having said that, I'd be comfortable if the government came out and said, we're about to subsidise the installation of charging infrastructure publicly everywhere, or we're going to make public charging infrastructure free for people to charge their electric cars. I'd be okay with that. Just before we get to this government legislation, what, what's your opinion on that? Do you have a, do you have a, a view either way? Yeah, because – and the, we'll talk about the legislation in a moment, but it rolls into that. The, the New South Wales government and Matt Keane – or Matt Green, as he likes to be known. <laughs> that's him. Yeah, that's who's him. the treasurer <laughs> yeah. and was the environment minister. He drives a Tesla. Look, <clears throat> he's made numerous announcements about infrastructure. Yep. About charging stations, yep. subsidising charging stations. But it's it's – Hardly makes a difference. Yes. Until you get industry mm. embracing it. Yeah, correct. So until you get the, the shells and the ampoles mm-hmm. really embracing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, plus, of course, we've, we've spoken about uh, charging time. Mm-hmm. It's not going to take off. So, yeah. so even, even if we're talking about subsidising through the tax system to make a $75,000 vehicle, for instance, 50, for yep. instance, if we don't have the infrastructure across the country... Mm. It's, it's not going to happen. Yeah, because it's hard to buy it if you don't know where you can charge it. It's really quite interesting too. We did an electric vehicle documentary effectively that ran on Channel 9. You can see that on 9 now and on drive.com.au. And we spoke to a few people in the industry. It was enlightening for us as well because we got to really delve deeply into it as opposed to looking at it on the surface. Scott Nagar, who works in the future technologies part of what Hyundai does, he made a really good point when we spoke to him, which is... In countries in Europe, they install banks of 20 and 30 charges and don't really say anything about it. We install one and, get excited. and put the fireworks out yeah. when really we need to be putting a whole bank of them in there. And then to your point, we spoke to representatives from BP and they are rolling out charges in BP service stations and they're going to expand that out. And, and that has always struck me as utterly ridiculous that petrol stations wouldn't be more involved in this. I think it's great that BP is. Ampol started to do it as well. I think they all should because you and I are driving along the highway and we're accustomed to the fuel light coming on and you look for a petrol station sign and you go and fill your car up. It's no different if you're driving an electric vehicle. Mm. And what do you think you're going to do while you're in there for 40 minutes waiting for it to charge? Spend cash. Spend money. Yeah. Maybe BP's the one that's embracing it, British Petroleum. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was in London a couple months ago. That's right. Yep. And one of the big things, and I think I spoke to you about this, the, the big thing that struck me were the number of electric cars. On the, in the on centre the of London. Oh, it's yeah, unbelievable, yeah, isn't it? it? It's. But, you know, I think as you rightly said to me, you think about the geography of, of England. Yep. 
and London yep. is completely different to our completely country. Different. We have got so much in common with the United States. Mm-hmm. And we probably need to be able to look into how, if the United States is having success, and we always trail them, yep. how they go about things in terms of their infrastructure. And it's really interesting. I was there for a couple of weeks on holiday a few weeks ago, and they have the same concerns we do. As good as their infrastructure is compared to ours, yep. as much more of it as they have, when you speak to the average punter out there, and even people who've got electric vehicles, who I chatted to, most of the time it's a second vehicle. Most of mm. the time they put a lot of thought and research into it. And most of the time they say it's still something that we think, well, we can't really, like a lot of people who live in Los Angeles go to a place called Mammoth Lakes to go skiing, right, in the wintertime. It's it's a good probably, let's call it four hours maybe, four and a bit hours. I spoke to people who said we don't take our EV to do that just because they don't want the hassle of not knowing how they're going to charge it and that kind of thing. That's in a country where I think out of the, let's say, seven or eight uh, hotels that I stayed in, only one of them from memory didn't have an electric vehicle charger, and most of them had multiple. But even culturally from what we drive, yeah. traditionally yeah, yeah. traditionally exactly. we drove the Holden Commodore, the yep. Ford Falcon. Yep. Now, that we still drive, to be honest, same category of car. That's it's just right. now a dual-cab ute. That's right. It's a Ranger and a Hilux. Yep. They just replaced those two. Yeah, big. Good on, good on your Holden, <laughs> Holden Australia and Ford Australia for not embracing that change. But we're still driving big cars. Yeah, exactly. If anything, we're driving fewer small cars than ever before because yeah. we're all trying to drive these SUVs of some yes, sort. absolutely. So we, we are very much culturally in terms of what we buy, like the Americans, mm. and although I'm, all the manufacturers are certainly trying to embrace technology that will power something that can tow and a dual cab ute and so forth, they're still far behind the eight ball compared Miles. to with smaller cars. Miles behind the eight ball, absolutely. Now, let's have a look at this. So basically, I'll, I'll run through the initial detail and then you can drill into it a bit more. The Australian government looks set to introduce a bill which could potentially drop thousands of dollars in federal taxes from the price of not just electric vehicles, which we're talking about here, but hydrogen fuel cell vehicles yep. and plug-in hybrids. So realistically anything that's fuel efficient. It'll incentivise the uptake of zero and low emissions vehicles, which is why it's not just electric vehicle, removing import tariffs on new cars that are on sale underneath the luxury car tax threshold, which currently sits at 84900 bucks. So what that would mean is if you're looking at an Audi e-tron, for example, that's $180,000, that doesn't include that vehicle here. But if you're looking at a lot of the electric vehicles now that sit under that 80 grand mark or Toyota hybrids, things like yeah. that, they're underneath this and it could potentially save Australians a hell of a lot of money, right? Yeah, and there's a few elements to the legislation. Um, in terms of the tax breaks, say for a Nissan Leaf, the estimation though is it only comes down $2,000. Yeah, see, so if you what's a Nissan Leaf? About a 50k car? Yeah, yeah. $2,000 in this market really isn't going to make much of a difference, yeah. really. Where there could be some incentive is, I understand as part of the legislation, they may provide greater incentives for novated leases. Yes. Now, if you're on, and just talking about you know people who live in suburbs maybe um, that would benefit this, that they may not have novated leases. If they're a small business person, understand. they may well do. Sure. But the, apparently, you may be able to save in the vicinity of twenty thousand dollars. Wow. If it's under a novated lease. So that's part of the fringe benefits tax yeah. side now, of it. Now, if you're talking a $20,000 cut in an electric vehicle, that, that may well make a difference. I think that's the absolute best case scenario, though. Mm. But I think you you really raise a really good point that probably the uptake is still mostly going to be, if we just take Sydney, for example, mm. 
the eastern sub- suburbs and, and the North Shore. Yes. And should we really be, firstly, on the base price, providing with a $2,000 discount? Mm. Well, it's not going to make any difference to them. No. But even that Novated Lease deal, it's probably not going to really make much of a difference either. That's right. And most, most of the cars they're going to buy are probably going to be subject to luxury car tax above that threshold anyway. Is this, though, bordering on becoming a bit too complex for the average punter to understand. Yeah. Because if I say it's this tax offset and then it's this fringe fringe benefits tax and if it's over 84 grand, it doesn't count. And if it's a novated lease, you get more. D- does it risk becoming too difficult absolutely. for people to understand? And absolutely, it's going to be coming confusing and it's going to only get further confusion when the governments decide exactly what they're going to do about taxation mm. for people who own an electric car. Because of course, you and I pay a hell of a lot of fuel excise. Yeah, absolutely. People who drive electric cars generally don't. Yeah. It vary from state to state, I think. But but the states are going to be introducing taxes they for electric car money. drivers because they need the money to maintain the roads. That's right. And <laughs> it's in the forward estimates, right? Yeah. They've predicted that they're going to get this I mean, the, fa- the fact that the Albanese government, the Morrison, if jo- uh, Scott Morrison had been re-elected, he wouldn't do this either. But there was no way they were going to continue with the 20 cent excise no. discount post-September because they couldn't afford to. <laughs> exactly Because right. they rely on that money so much. That's so right. We're all, if we all go and hug a tree and buy an EV, and by, by the way, I'm not anti-EV. You know, I, th- I think the technology is amazing. Yep. There's a big question mark about where that power comes from. Of course there Coal-fired is. Coal-fired power stations. At the moment. But, but I'm not anti the technology. Like the, mm. there is, it, it should be the way we go eventually. But the model's got to be right yep. for governments, for the consumer as well. And the, I still think the biggest issue is going to be going forward, the infrastructure. Mm. And this is why it annoyed me, to be honest, that electric vehicles became a political argument mm. because the politicians don't know what they're talking about. You know, Bill Shorten said, what, six years ago, oh, we'll be able to charge them in five minutes or ten minutes like a mobile phone. No, you can't. Yeah, yeah. You still can't. It still doesn't take anywhere near that short amount of time to charge most of them. There's the issue of what makes up the batteries from a yep. mineral point of view as well. But you guys made the point last week with Josh about the nature of our driving. Yeah. And I can think of at least three occasions this year where pretty much almost spur of the moment or for reasons because of my employment, I have jumped in a car and driven six or seven hours. Yeah, you've done the right thing and Mm. stopped along the way to drive and revive. But but I've drove that to Tamworth because I wanted to go and watch the Sharks play a football game off the top of my head. Did they win? Yeah, they bet the the Tigers. (laughs) Um, um, I I drove to the North Coast to, to Lismore. For work. For work. Yep. I didn't stop along the way for a sleepover, no. but but I obviously had to stop for fuel. But yep. if you're making, that's the nature of Australian drivers. Yep. We have to drive distances and sometimes with little notice. Mm. And the way, obviously, you need if you've got an electric car, you've got to plan those things. Yeah, well, you do. Time. And look, episodes. It's not to say it can't be done. But no, the, episodes of the TV show that we've done with electric vehicles, we've had to plan it. With the yep. same sort of precision as we did when we crossed the Simpson Desert and we needed <laughs> jerry cans of diesel. We, we thought, how far can we travel? Is there a charger when we get there? Ring ahead, does the charger work? Because you don't want to get... Like when we drove... um, We started in Yass and we drove way out into the country. You don't want to get where you're going and then the charger doesn't work and there's only one of them. At the moment, because the infrastructure's not there, these are questions that you have to answer. But as a second vehicle, if those if those um, tax breaks do make it more affordable, yep. I can see where it's going to be wonderful. Absolutely. I mean, we can't put our heads in the sands on this one yep. because the, the whole manufacturing industry, yes. motor manufacturing industry, is going in that direction. Yep. So we, there will come a day, I'm sure... Where just like it's hard to buy a manual now, it's going to be hard to buy a petrol a combustion car. Absolutely, absolutely. So we, we've got to do it. But I honestly think the number one priority, even before providing the tax breaks for the purchase price, the number one priority for the government should be the, the charging infrastructure. Yeah.
Absolutely. We agree on that, mate. Now, I gave you the choice of any car review that you wanted to talk about. I look over my shoulder and you're watching a video of me. <laughs> what? <laughs> Are you a well, glutton for punishment? As you know, I've always been very jealous of the job that you have because, <laughs> you know, I get sent on trips chasing politicians around the country. <laughs> you get sent on trips overseas <laughs> to drive new cars. car launches. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you've you just come back from overseas. I have, mate. I've just come back from Italy, just outside Milan specifically. We went to Alfa Romeo Fiat. Maserati's test track, uh, which is in a town called Balocco, beautiful little town out in the countryside. And we drove the 2023 Alfa Romeo Tonale, which is their small SUV. And the one that I drove specifically was the plug-in hybrid. So we've got a review on the site of that, obviously, which is the one I've done. But we've also got a review of the mild hybrid, which is a slightly different type of technology. This is a really interesting car. I mean, the first thing that everybody has said, whether I was sending photos back from when I was over there to people in the office or you looked at it or family members have read the review, is how good does this car look? The styling well, is beautiful. Part of it, and have a look at the website and the video and all the photos on the website, but the green oh, is that's my favourite colour. Yeah, unbelievable. Now, I'm probably the view that if I bought an Alfa, I'd have to buy it in red. Yeah, it's that's what car. everybody... You know what's funny? <laughs> we went out and there was a fleet of them in red and there were two or three green ones. And I said, can I drive the green one? That green is special. It's stunning, it's, isn't it? It's, I, you, how would you describe it? It's, it's not a British racing green. No, it's, it's got a sparkle to it. A bit of sparkle, a bit oh. of a pine green about it it's it's stunning the, the car is a beautiful car mm. and I, I i still come from that school where i'm a bit anti-suv yeah we've just bought a, an isuzu mux this year but we still for a purpose i still see that we tow you tow with it yeah, um and it. i still see that as a you know a proper yep. suv mm-hmm. i'm not one that thinks everyone's just got to go out and who would have previously bought a sedan or a hatch has got to buy an suv i wish we bought more wagons but reality you don't have much choice now in the no, market and, and australians don't buy them everybody wants an suv but in terms of the, the, this category i think this one nails it from mm. a look point of view mm. and you know it's probably out of my price range to be honest but if i was replacing my car and, and my wife said look you're not going to get away with a two-door car anymore if i wanted something that still had a bit of sports about it mm. this has it now funny you say that we sat down at dinner on the first night that we were there and I had the head of communications for Alfa Romeo to my left but on my right I had their chief engineer who's done all the road testing and I spoke to him at length about the challenges that they face as they move towards electric. Now mm. plug-in hybrid is like a an interim step to full electric as the listeners know because the way this works is, like I said, best case scenario, and if you want all of the data, as always, it's at drive.com.au, and we did do a video on this one as well. Simply speaking, you get around about 80 kilometres, and let's call it 70 in the real world of pure electric range. There's a 1.3 litre turbocharged four-cylinder petrol engine that works, and then it does its thing once it runs out of battery power, and it can harvest some power back and what have you. So in theory... Uh, People like you and me and most of the team here at the podcast, we could all drive from home to work and back without using any petrol Monday to Friday and then off you go on the weekend. So so this is the step to full electric. This is going to be heavier, right, than a, than a regular one of these vehicles would be if it wasn't hybrid. It's 1,835 kilos, right? Now, if this was a non-hybrid without that battery packet, it'd probably be around 1,500, maybe a little bit less. Alfa Romeo's got a real challenge because the engineers at Alfa told us that an Alfa has to drive and feel from behind the wheel like an Alfa. That is lightweight, nimble, quick steering, responsive, sporty, all of those things. 
but they've managed to inject it in this thing. I was surprised on twisty mountain roads outside Milan yeah. how this thing drove. It, so we, it, even with that higher, yes, it still fe- it still felt like a sporty Alfa Romeo should. And I've owned Alphas in the past, right? So I'm a little bit of a tragic. It's brilliant that they've done that because I think we've seen so many times in the past car companies try to reinvent themselves. Yep. And the one that springs to mind is probably Jaguar when yes. they were owned by Ford. Yeah, that's right. And effectively, you know, you, you get a Mondeo with a bit of a fancy front on it yeah. and it doesn't drive like a Jag. No, it doesn't. Alpha's obviously a very different style of car to drive, but it's good that they've been able to embrace this new style of vehicle that it seems the market wants to buy and, and retain those qualities. What would still concern me about any Alpha, <laughs> I love them, yeah. right? But can I, I have, can I have confidence from a reliability yeah. point of view from just bits falling off it, Yeah, <laughs> from a quality point of view? So can I say, when we sat down with the international head of brand, basically, for Alfa Romeo, he had the most frank assessment of the brand that I've ever heard from anybody. He said to us, quality hasn't been good enough. We've been nowhere near good enough for the last however many years. We know that that holds us back. We know that word of mouth is the most important way to retain people and to get new buyers in and to keep customers where they are. And we absolutely have to deliver on a higher quality, better build quality, better structural stuff so that things don't fall off it and you're not constantly back in the dealer. We have to take them at their word because they have said that is what they're going to do. They have said that is the number one directive of this car. And there's a news story I've put together, which will go on the site about this interview. He, he said the number one KPI that Alfa Romeo has with this vehicle is quality. That is the journey that Alpha has to undertake. Mm. That's what they've got to sort out. That's what they have to fix with this vehicle. That's where they have to go. And they have said they're committed to doing it. This thing's an impressive thing to drive. But let, let us know what you think. If you're listening in now and you've had an Alpha or you've thought about buying an Alpha, why didn't you buy one? Why did you? What was the experience like? Let us know. But most of the owners are very much like you. They're, they're, yeah, but they're <laughs> fa- a, fans of the brand. Yeah, that's right. And, and they yeah. love them. And the rest are probably someone like me who thinks, gee, I'd like one. Yeah. But, oh, I don't think I've got the guts don't to get one. Don't think I've got the guts to do it. Mate, thank you for joining us. And if we're not careful, you could be hosting next week. I'll just make sure I won't be walking past the <laughs> studio window at the time. <laughs> you need to get home, exactly. Mate, thank you for joining us. It's been good fun as always. I appreciate it. And you will be back at some point. And no doubt you'll be on my show in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, next week, there are all kinds of launches happening. I've driven two cars this week that I can't tell you about until the first week of December. So we'll be back with more news and reviews. And the best way to make sure that you don't miss that or anything we have coming up down the track is by hitting follow or subscribe wherever you are listening to this episode right now we'll catch you next time for the drive